United Planners, an RIA and broker-dealer structured as a limited partnership, providing partners and associates an unfettered program to conduct fee-based and commission business for over 30 years. Advisors are offered the flexibility of being independent with a broad choice of custodians under the firm RIA or their own independent RIA. Welcome to The Healthy Advisor, a podcast from wealthmanagement.com focused on advisors' personal well-being and healing. I'm Diana Britton, Managing Editor of wealthmanagement.com, and in this podcast, we explore some of the struggles and personal development issues facing advisors and financial services professionals, and how to get to a place of healing for mind, body, and spirit. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Healthy Advisor podcast, and thanks for joining us today. As you may know, this is the podcast focused on financial advisor health and well-being, and today's guest definitely counts on that score. Her name is Danica Waddell. She's the founder and lead financial planner of Xena Financial Planning in Seattle. So a, a couple of years ago, Danica you know, went through some regulatory troubles due to no fault of her own. I think her situation is probably more common than we think uh, in this industry, and, and advisors just don't talk about it. And so I think it can be you know, a little bit of a cautionary tale for firm owners, RA owners, who you know, maybe have too many balls in the air, um, don't delegate enough of the compliance and administrative tasks involved in running an RIA. So in 2012, uh, in 2020, um, Danica's prior firm was audited by the state of Washington, and the state found that her U4 wasn't filed properly after four years of working with clients. Um, and the whole, or- whole ordeal was you know, pretty traumatic for Danica, and it's what ultimately led her to leave that RIA and start her own firm, Xena Financial Planning. Um, Danica, just... You know, take us back to, uh, you know, the events of 2020. Um, you know, what happened when your firm was audited by Washington State? Yeah. Um, so so how it unfolded was um, Washington DFI, the Department of Financial Institutions, um, let us know that, you know, they were going to do an audit of the firm. And very quickly at the you know very beginning of that process, one of the first things that they said was, hey, it looks like you have an advisor on the team that's that's working with clients and they're not registered with us. Um, so I was actually on vacation um, when when this all came to, to light. So um, I had a very lovely <laughs> vacation oh in which I had no idea that any of this was happening. But I came back and it, it pretty much sort of came crashing down. Um, so my boss, you know, gave me a call and said, "Hey, this is there's an administrative issue um, that is going to impact you." And I was like, "Huh, I don't really know mm-hmm. what you mean." But in any case, um, once I got back to the office, you know, I understood the full scope of what was going on. And, you know, the state basically said, I mean, obviously, it's very serious to be, you know, working with clients directly without being registered properly. And so the state just said, hey, you know, we need you to to pause what you're doing. Do not interact with clients at all. We're going to investigate. And so, you know, they went into this process of really trying to figure out what had happened. Of course, we were doing the same thing on our end, just sort of scrambling, like, how, how did this even come to be? Um, but it, the process for, you know, the state was pretty slow. So it, it dragged on for almost three months. Um, and in that time, I was not permitted to have any communication whatsoever with clients. And I was not to do 
uh, not allowed to do any work for clients. I was also not allowed to be compensated for work, even mm-hmm. that I'd already done. Um, so it was um, a, a very dragged out, very stressful. Um, and it all happened basically as the pandemic began. So it started in February of 2020. So it was, you know, sort of just a a storm of um, terrible things that all happened at once and super stressful for me as the, you know, the primary focus of the investigation. Yeah. Take us through, you know, what those three months looked like for you. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously at the beginning of the pandemic, markets were going crazy. You know, a lot of clients were panicking, you know, but you couldn't talk to them, right? So, I mean, just tell us about those three months and how, yeah. how frustrating it was for you. It was not just frustrating, but, um, you know, it really was painful um, because clients were pretty traumatized by both both COVID and, you know, market volatility. And, you know, people that I had very well established relationships with of three and four years of working together were reaching out to me and they would basically get some kind of response from the firm that said something like, um, Danica is not available right now. And um, and then ultimately they would get a response from somebody else in the firm sort of addressing their specific need or question. But often it took several days, if not a week. And I was typically very responsive with my clients and they were used to that. So to hear, first of all, Danique is not available. And then for their actual question to not get answered for many days, you know, both of those things. And I could see their emails coming in or their phone calls or whatever, but I could not respond. That was really hard as a practitioner to know that I had these, you know, trusted relationships with people and to just be unable to communicate with them. And I know from a few people that, you know, they would sort of, when they got this automatic response saying Danica is not available, um, many of them were like, you know, did she die? Does she have COVID? You know, what's going on? Uh And And my firm was very opaque about what was going on, of course, which is understandable, but they didn't give very much information at all. Just Danica's not available. Um, We're respecting her privacy, which Mm. is pretty meaningless. So those three months were, were very stressful from that perspective. But also, you know, it sort of took away my ability to do my job, right? So I was Mm. not permitted to do anything related to client work. And um, so my job, you know, my boss attempted to find sort of operations projects and stuff like that for me to work on. But I was pretty aimless, to be honest, it it was not as demanding as what I'd been doing. Um, And I was very um, unclear, it was very uncertain what was going to happen. Um, so I didn't mm. know if my career was coming to an end. I didn't know if this was going to damage me long term. And so mm. there was just a lot of a lot of unknowns and um, and also I just didn't really have nearly as much to do as I would typically have had, like a typical you know client workload. Yeah, and and tell me about your your pay getting cut as well. I mean, I know you said it was cut by more than fifty percent. You know, I know that you you guys were okay, um, but you know, mm-hmm. that's still that's still you know yeah. frustrating. It was um, so my pay. The way that it was structured was that I received a base salary, and then there was a variable component that was tied to you know the number of. Um, client projects and billable hours that I was um, that I was billing, so that part went away. That variable component, which was it was right around fifty percent, and I can recall, it, you know, the part that was frustrating to me was that 
you know, for projects I'd already done and deliver, you know, delivered projects to clients and plans. Um, I wasn't even allowed to be paid for those. And then, um, one thing that happened, a uh, conversation I had with my boss at a certain point was I kind of, you know, went into her and I said, you know, I'm okay because I am very fortunate that my spouse has a stable job and, you know, we're fine. But no one at my job ever asked, are you going to be okay? If I was a single parent or, you know, just if I was the primary breadwinner, um, it would have been a very, very different situation. And nobody at the firm just, it didn't even, I don't know if it didn't occur to them, but they didn't even seem to think that was such a big deal, um, which mm. I thought was very, uh, I mean, I think my firm was so concerned with the audit and coming out of this in a way that wasn't damaging to the firm um, that they didn't really think about the impact. I mean, they knew it was not pleasant for me, but I don't think they really thought about how it was impacting me. Mm. Yeah. I mean, how else did your firm respond? Um, mm. Or I, I guess... Mm-hmm. Did they respond to you at all? They were in term verbally supportive. So, you know, we're sorry, this is terrible, we sympathize, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, they never defended me to the state. They never said, you know, we really believe that Danica should still be permitted to work with her clients. She didn't do anything wrong. Um, and I actually called DFI at a certain point myself because it was dragging on for so long. And I thought, maybe I should just get a job somewhere else like maybe you know I could probably work with clients somewhere else and I I did call the state and I said so if I got a job at another firm tomorrow could I work with clients and they said oh yeah sure Mm. and so to me that made so little sense it was like here I am at my job I've done nothing wrong and I'm not and I'm you know I'm not able to interact with my existing clients and my firm never kind of stood up to the state and said, hey, you know, we really think that she should still be able, especially given the circumstances with COVID and markets, that I should still be permitted to um, to work directly with my clients. So they never really defended me in any way to mm-hmm. the state. Um, and I think they were just so scared about their own reputation, which I totally understand. Um, but they really didn't kind of stick their neck out in any way for me. So, I mean, I felt like they were verbally supportive. Yes, we understand. Yes, it's painful and and traumatic and we're so sorry but that was kind of as far as it went yeah and so um you know i know that it seems like a good thing that came out of all this was that you you know you went out and started your own firm and said you know i don't want to be um you know beholden to an employer anymore i want to be my own boss and and so uh you know things like this don't don't happen tell us about you know your thought process there Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was probably about two and a half months into the whole um, the whole process where it start. You know, not only had I called the state and determined that you know whether I started my own firm or went elsewhere, I could immediately be working with clients. But also, mm-hmm. I think up until that point, I just assumed that working for another company and having a salary job was the safe and secure thing to do. And I, it just sort of hit me at once at one point in this process oh my gosh, this was not the safe thing. I mean, it could be safe, but in this case, um, you know, I was really sort of blindsided that this sort of thing could even happen. And Mm -hmm. so I realized that having a salary job wasn't as stable as I thought it was. Um, And so at one point, um, not only did I have that realization, but I just thought, you know, I don't really want my fate to be 
tied up in somebody else's ability to say file a U4. Um, I want to be in charge of my own destiny. Um, and so once I had that, um, th you know, that part of the thought process sort of passed through my mind or whatever, and I, I just, it was like a, a light switch flipped. And I was like, there is absolutely no going back. I will never be an employee again. Of course, never say never. Mm -hmm. I don't know what will happen in my future. Um, but I really, it was very sudden and unexpected to me because it wasn't, wasn't what I had planned on for sure. And it hadn't really mm -hmm. been on my radar for the, the vast majority of the time of this audit. I was just kind of head down. How am I going to get through this? And then it was like, you know, I think there's another way. I think it's time to do something differently. And there was no stopping me at that point. I was just, you know, I was, I was headed off in that direction. Yeah, well, I mean, I commend you for, for doing that in the middle of the, of the pandemic and in the middle of uh, what you were going through. What do, you, what do you think this experience taught you about the, the regulatory framework of this industry and, and sort of the gaps and, and flaws in the system? Um, I mean, I tried to find um, statistics about, um, you know, state registration of, of RIAs. And, you know, obviously there's, there's numbers out there of, of how many um, are registered. I, I, there, there are no statistics out there about how, uh, you know, mistakes that the states make on, on in terms of registration mm -hmm. or anything mm -hmm. like that. But um, it does seem like your situation brings to light some flaws in the system. Oh, for sure. I mean, I have no idea. I haven't spoken to anybody else who's been through something like this. I would imagine it happens more often than we know. But part of what yeah. happened and part of the issue with the regulatory process is, you know, there was an advisor that left the firm shortly before I joined, and the U5 for him was never filed properly. And so then when I came on and the U4 wasn't filed properly, um, you know, what happens when you renew the U4s each year is you basically just renew for a set number of advisors. So if you have four advisors mm -hmm. on the team, you pay the fee for four advisors, it just sort of carries forward. There's no names on anything. So mm -hmm. what my boss was doing was every year renewing for four advisors, not realizing she was actually still paying <laughs> for an advisor who'd already left. And, and he was, mm -hmm. of course, registered with another firm at that point, but that also wasn't caught that he was registered mm -hmm at another firm Twice. and his yeah. U5 was never filed. So he was also showing up with my, you know, my firm at the time. So there's, a, there's definitely, I mean, the, the process with the regulatory bodies obviously is not the most user-friendly thing in the world, um, but that's, <laughs> you know, that's the system we've got, but it definitely exposes some flaws. And I think the more eyes that you have on every part of the process, every paper, you know, piece of paperwork that you're filing, um, really you should have at least two or three people looking at it because something like this happens and, you know, only one person is reviewing it. I, one thing that I had never done in the past was I just never went to my broker check profile um, to see mm -hmm. what was happening. And had I done that, um, I would have noticed that I wasn't registered. Um, so one thing that I've subsequently been doing, I mean, I check it almost obsessively, just to make sure I'm still registered. Um, but yeah. I think that sort of thing, you know, if you're an advisor out there going in, I mean, I read ADVs and things like that all the time now, just because um, I think there's a lot of stuff that gets missed and I want to make sure that, um, you know, nothing falls through the cracks. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Um, how do you think it, this uh, whole experience changed your approach to compliance? I'm very attentive. 
to compliance mm. for sure. Um, and I outsourced from day one. So I have a compliance consultant. I actually switched compliance consultants at one point because I didn't think that the first person I was working with was um, as reliable as I as I would have liked. I didn't quite agree with how they were doing things. And I thought, you know, I'm not really sure. I really wanted somebody that I had 100% confidence in. Um, so mm-hmm. I outsourced from the, from the get-go. Um, but I think just being very cautious and really double checking things, you know, not just sort of like trying to get it off my desk as quickly as possible, but really being um, as thorough as I can be. Yeah. Um, I mean, tell me about the experience starting your own firm. And, um, you know, obviously, there there are difficulties there, um, you know, for anyone starting a new firm. Uh, What was the experience like for you? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was scary. For sure. I think for most people, launching a firm probably is scary. But I think for me, because it happened so quickly and it was not something that I expected, it just took me quite a while to even just wrap my brain around. I was like, how did I get here? This is not this was not the path that I thought I was going to be on. Um, I had very much expected I was going to stay at the firm I was at and I was going to, you know, ultimately become an owner, you know, a partial owner or something like that, that I was going to buy into the practice. And so I had just never really given much time or space to the idea of being a firm owner. So it just was such a um, an adjustment mm. to my way of thinking about what my path looked like. So that was a really big piece of it for me, was just sort of adjusting my thinking to being a firm owner. And then I think the other part of it, and um, you know, we'll, I think we'll talk a little bit about therapy, but um, it just, it took me a while to I guess, come to terms with um, how my path had diverged from what I had expected. So Mm -hmm. um, not only did I not expect to be a firm owner, but I ended up, you know, I launched in July. So I left my prior firm in May. It took me a couple months to get registered, but I launched and the business just immediately took off um, and I was successful beyond anything that I had anticipated. And that also was an adjustment because I thought, well, gee, I had these really modest expectations about what I might do in the first year. And it just immediately took off. And that was, again, such a departure from what I expected um, that I also had a very hard time just accepting what my, (laughs) what my reality was. Yeah, that's, that's great news. I mean, people, sounds like people really resonated with, um, you know, your approach, your model. Mm -hmm. Um, Tell me a little bit about um, seeking therapy after starting the firm. Why did you go to therapy and what uh, came out of it? Mm -hmm. I think the reason I started was because the whole process was, it was pretty traumatic. And I say that with like a a lowercase t traumatic, not a capital T. So I wasn't abused or anything like that. But it was a very, very stressful time for me, layered on top of COVID and having children, which of course was, it was all very stressful as a parent. And just, there was Mm -hmm. so many things going on at that time um, that, that were, that were traumatic. And so really having somebody to just talk it through and kind of process Mm -hmm. everything that had happened was, was my primary reason for engaging with a therapist. Um, And again, then layering on the, the success of the business, which like I said, was not at all what I had expected. And so not only was I coming to terms with being a business owner, but also a successful business owner. And so it really was incredibly helpful to just have 
another person to really kind of explore all the different things that I was that I was dealing with. Um, and as mm-hmm. a business owner, again, I think um, it's a very stressful, all-consuming thing to do. You know, it's just beyond what I expected in terms of you know responsibility. You cannot turn it off on the weekends. I absolutely love it, but there's a component of it that is utterly exhausting. Um, mm. And so, have again, having that external person to bounce things off of, talk through, not so much business ideas, but just even, you know, um, dealing with the the stress of what my new my new reality was. Um, and I'm still working with that person. Um, and, and that has been a huge, a huge help in um, dealing with all of the, the things that transpired. But I also get a lot of support from other advisors and, and study groups and things like that that I'm part of. So I think there's there's multiple ways that I seek um, support and an outlet and all of those things, which I think is absolutely essential as any business owner. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a, a challenge for a, a lot of advisors uh, who are you know sort of um, out on their own and and have their own firm. Um, you know, sort of out there on an island. Um, tell us about, you know, seeking support out there from other advisors and um, how did that kind of help you through that time? I know you, you're involved with X, XY uh, Planning Network mm-hmm. and uh, NAPFA, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, those are my two primary um, organizations, I guess, that I'm plugged into. And um, I joined, I think, two or three study groups fairly early on. Um, and those have changed a couple times. I've left some study groups and then joined others. Um, but I get a tremendous amount of value and support from um, just being in community with other people who are going through similar things in terms of stages of the business or um, you know, trying to figure out when to hire and and those sorts of things. So you know, some growing pains that that type of um, issue that a lot of us are facing. So I leaned pretty heavily on both of those organizations early on. Um, I also spent a lot of time on Twitter, um, probably too much, mm-hmm. but I've met a <laughs> ton of people there that have been incredibly supportive and made lots of connections that have been um, just really valuable. Um, so yeah, I would say those are the two organizations from that perspective. Um, but also I've just really, um, in a way that I didn't expect, um, I've really enjoyed getting my story out there. So I have been on a few podcasts and I've been in, you know, media publications and things like that, which also was not something that I anticipated at all. I I do not like being the center of attention or anything (laughs) like that, but, um, it's been, it's been really rewarding to share, um, various parts of my experience with others. Um, so yeah, those are the things that have kind of gotten me through. Yeah. I, I think that's great. Cause I, like I said, I do think that there are a lot of people out there who, um, have similar situations in this industry. Um, you know, maybe not even the same, same situation, but similar. Um, and, and, um, you know, to hear someone who's gone through it, I, I think is really helpful. Um, how do you think this whole experience shaped who you are today and and the work you're doing? I think it has really opened me up to um, more possibilities um, and allowed Mm -hmm. me to think much bigger than I ever had before. So I was very content at my old job. I, you know, had a good job. I liked the people I worked with um, and I thought I would be there forever. And I Mm -hmm. never allowed myself to think bigger. Um, And the, you know, where I am is almost exactly two years later, 
I would have never believed that this was possible. Um, and so it's really allowed me to, to expand my thinking about what's mm. realistic and what's possible. And I now think I can do anything, basically. If I can do this and I can be successful, I mean, there's, there's really nothing that I can't do if I set my mind to it. Um, and mm -hmm. that is not um, a belief that I had before. So that's probably the biggest thing is just the, the idea of um, possibility and setting much bigger goals than I had allowed myself to set previously. And the other thing yeah, is just about delegating um, and really um, sharing the load. So um, I don't think any one person can do everything. I don't intend to be a solo business owner forever. I'm very much interested in partnering with somebody else because I think um, we're better um, as a group and as a team than we are as individuals. So I really want to leverage um, working with other, you know, with other individuals, other professionals to be better at what I do, because again, I'm good at a lot of things and I'm not good at a lot of things as well. So I want to be really realistic about what I can and can't do, um, and not try to do everything, which is what my old boss, you know, absolutely tried to do everything and, you know, made a huge mistake. Mm. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, I'm afraid we're just about out of time, um, but I'd like to thank my guest, Danica Waddell, for being on the podcast and opening up uh, here about her experiences. Danica, thank you so much. Thank you, Diana. It was a pleasure. If you'd like to reach out to Danica, uh, you can reach her at uh, Danica at xenafp.com. Uh, we'll put this information in the show notes as well. Um, if you yourself have a struggle, you wish to share your experiences and, and help others in similar situations, please feel free to reach out to me at diana.britton at informa.com. I'd like to thank you for listening to The Healthy Advisor. If you've not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This is Diana Britton reminding you that where there's healing, there is hope. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to The Healthy Advisor, a podcast focused on advisors' personal well-being and healing. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of wealthmanagement.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice. Always seek the advice of your healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding your particular situation. United Planners, an RIA and broker-dealer structured as a limited partnership, providing partners and associates an unfettered program to conduct fee-based and commission business for over 30 years. Advisors are offered the flexibility of being independent with a broad choice of custodians under the firm RIA or their own independent RIA.